Welcome to the Marion Message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marion Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. I was somewhere around seven or eight years old. I think I've told this story before, but it fits today. And I was taking swimming lessons at Hargrave. Now, see, Hargrave back in the day didn't have that nice aquatic place that it has now. It was cold. It was in May. It was outside. It was right, sort of right beside, right behind their little um, Hargrave Military Academy sign there down that little bottom. It was there, and it was for reason. Yeah, this was May. I mean, it was warm outside, but that water was freezing. I had my first swimming lesson. Fantabulous. So we have our second lesson, and then the teacher, the lifeguard, says, who wants to go off the diving board? You better believe that. I got you. So I get up there. I won't coming back up, y'all. <laughs> so I finally do my hands, and I finally get up. And you, I mean, trying to look cool for all the girls and be the guy, I'm screaming, help. You know, God never wants to throw you in the deep end too soon. Because when he does, that exact same thing will happen in your life. You'll start screaming for help because you don't know that you can trust God. I want to talk to you today. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 still about the lessons of faith. And what I want to do today is I want God to show you in your life when it's time to jump off the diving board. When it's time that he's going to, and the Bible says, when he's ready to test you. Now we're going, wait a minute, God, why is God going to test me? Oh, when I translate that for you, it's going to be mind-blowing. So if you would, would you stand out of honor and respect for God's word? Hebrews chapter 11, just going to read a few verses here. Starting down at verse 17, the Bible says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, there it is, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able, amen, even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Father, Lord, our entire life, you are steadily growing our faith. Father, the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith, but we don't need our faith increased. We need our faith stretched. Because every time when it stretches, Father, we can come to know you more as Lord and Savior, and most importantly, trust you with our very being. God, we love you today. God, would you speak clearly in the name of Jesus? Amen. You may be seated. 
really that's what we need in our walk of faith is not uh, to increase our faith, but we need our faith, each one of us, stretched to where we get to a point we know that we can trust God with everything that we have. It's still a true statement that so many of us trust God with our eternity, but we don't trust him with our daily. Well, God, I know you've taken care of my salvation, and I know you've taken care of where I'm going to spend eternity when I die, but God, I don't know that you can take care of my day. Friends, I want to tell you something. Yes, he can. And I, wanna, I hope what you grasp today, I, my main focus is to get you to really reflect upon your life individually of how God has moved in certain situations to get you to the point you're at today so that when he throws a test on you like he threw on Abraham, you'll respond like Abraham did and follow his will and his way. But notice what I said. He didn't just throw Abraham in the deep end, did he? He didn't give Abraham his son Isaac and then say, I want you to go and I want you to offer him in the first few days of his life or in the first few moments of being called out from Mesopotamia. So I want to walk you through really quickly what I learned in the past couple. As I just went back to Genesis 12 and I started actually at the end of 11 and I started and I just wrote down some major events and occurrences in the life of Abraham that brought him to the point of Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, or Genesis 22 that we'll go through there also. Just listen to these. First step in his life, he was called out of Mesopotamia. So something happened there when he was in Mesopotamia. Most think that he was a moon-worshiping pagan, but at some point he heard the clear word of God. He heard God call him to salvation. He heard God call him to go. He understood God's voice. And I want to make this statement to you. When you heard his voice, you'll know it. When you've clearly heard from heaven, I promise you it's unlike any other voice you'll ever hear. And there will be absolute clarity that it was a word from the Lord. I think about Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul who hated Jesus. Paul, who thought he was working for God, but wouldn't have known God if he met him in a 40-acre field all alone. It was on that road when God moved. What did Paul first say? Lord, he knew it was the Lord's voice. Who are you? And then his world got radically changed, did it not? <coughs> of those words, it is Jesus whom you are persecuting. So then he does that, but then he, he moves on. So Abraham, he calls him to come out of Mesopotamia. He goes to Haran, and he goes there, but he's not in full obedience there because when he left it, he said, I want you to leave your home, and I want you to leave your family, and I want you to leave everybody back there and go to where I'll show you. Well, he didn't leave daddy. Now, we would be saying this. Well, what's wrong with daddy going with me? Well, here's what's wrong with daddy going. God told him to leave him back home. God expects us to follow his word completely. So when daddy dies, now he says, okay, let's go to the land I'll show you. So he leads him some 1,500-mile trek. And he gets there, and he's there, and God says, listen, you're just a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. This land is not yours, but it will be your descendants. I'm going to give it to them. Just hang out and be a pilgrim. Well, a famine occurs. 
And so instead of trusting God, see, his faith is still small. Instead of trusting God, he goes down to Egypt, and he's not trusting God to protect his wife, Sarah. He says, listen, when we get down there, you make sure you tell them you're my sister. Don't you tell them you're my wife. They'll kill me to take you as wife. So God protects Sarah because he moves in a dream with Pharaoh and says, don't touch that married woman. Abraham's still learning. He comes out of there, and then once he gets back, you remember, and then the, and then, but God uses that. He blesses him with, from Pharaoh with all these animals and sheep and all this stuff. And so now the land cannot sustain him and his cousin Lot. So he gets out there and he says, Lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You just choose. It's all good. So he chooses, and he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Well, here's a problem. Right after that, there's an attack by four kings. Four kings attacked five kings. You can go read it. And the five kings lost. But here comes Abraham because that's his nephew. And he loads up his own family, those that were in his, and he goes and he attacks those four kings and he gets his nephew back. See, it doesn't matter the size of the enemy. It matters the size of your God. Five couldn't defeat four but one good. So then he, he brings him back, and when he comes back, and then on the way back, he meets this man named Melchizedek, who's this type of Jesus in the Old Testament, and he learns from him, and he leaves there, and, and God renews the covenant with him that it was all going to be him. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have descendants like the sand of the seashore. Then he gives him this rite of circumcision, once again, strengthening his faith. Then he promises Isaac one more time. And then lo and behold, there's another problem. And he has to, he tells they're going in front of Abimelech, and he says this. He says, Tell him you're my sister, not my wife. And the Lord protects Sarah with Abimelech also, and he's blessed again. So in each one of these circumstances, those are some of the major things in Abraham's life. And so he's building his faith up to this one point. So I, bought, I thought about three major truths out of that for us today. Here it is. What do we see in Abraham's life? Number one, he learned to hear God's voice. If I could encourage you one thing that's going to help you on this path that we're talking about today, that's the very first thing, to know and to be able to hear God's voice individually. Now, some of you say, well, I need to hear it in a setting such as this. No, you don't. Oh, I hope you hear God speaking through me and you get some truths, but you need to hear for yourself how God's leading you. You may say, well, how can I make sure that I'm hearing God's voice? Here it is. It ought to go with God's word, not against God's word. If you're thinking, well, God told me this, and it is strictly against his word, no, you did not hear from God. You heard from yourself or the enemy. Is it, does it align with his word? Does it align with his character? Those are just some truths that you can know for yourself that you're hearing God's word. And I promise you, it'll usually be in the small, still times, not the worship service time. Secondly, we need to learn, he learned to apply God's word. Wow, church, this is what we need to hear. 
See, it's one thing to hear it, and that's so vitally important. But then what you do is you say, okay, I know this about God, and I need to apply it to my life. The problem is we don't want to apply it because we don't like it. Well, God, I know the Bible says this, but I don't really like that. And, I don't th- and here's what we'll say. I don't really think you've made me to live that out, so I'm going to do myself. No, dear child, the problem is you're listening to the world and the enemy and not God above. I'm going to make a major statement right here for you. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. I was thinking about this today and this morning early on, and I, man, my heart was sort of breaking for people that really struggle with self-esteem and they, they struggle with applying God's work or they think God may have made a mistake. I want to take you to Psalm 139 where it says, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. You are who you are because God said the world needs one of you. And there are so many beautiful attributes you can add to this world. Be you. And then thirdly, and here's the one we're really going to deal with today. He learned to trust God's calling. I mean, can you imagine that? Flipping your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Flipping your Bibles to Genesis 22. Hold your, we're going to get back to Hebrews because I'm going to walk you through Hebrews right at the very end. The introduction, and Kim can vouch for this, introduction is sort of long today, but don't worry, I promise you the three points are pretty short. But in Genesis 22, we hear what he's talking about. But listen to what happened here. Now, remember every, all that list I gave you of his major parts of his life? Chapter 22 of Genesis, after these things. So here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible it doesn't waste words. He's saying after his whole life and everything that I just recounted, the buildup of Abraham's life got to this point. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now we go, wait a minute. Testing is not, you know, testing is not good. But stay there in Genesis 22. I'm over here in, in Hebrews 11 now. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, that word test, a literal translation means this, to bring out the best. You know what we do a lot of times? We just sort of have a false sense of we're not very good. We just, I can't do that. Man, that was Abraham. Who, who am I? I'm not Abraham. Yes, you are. Abraham was human just like we are. Except Abraham got to a place in his life that, guess what? He trusted God's calling. And he stepped out in faith. He got to the same place Peter got when Peter stepped out of the boat. He got to the same place everybody else in Scripture got to, the fact that they were scared, but they took the next step. By faith, Abraham, when he was there, Abraham said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering <coughs> on one of the mountains of which I, will, I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He rose and went to the place of which God told him to go. Hey, mamas. Hey, dads. You willing to offer up your firstborn son? 
you willing to offer up your firstborn child? And by the way, are you willing to do it and not even ask a question? God speaks. Abraham says, I'm here. Abraham moves. Because he got to a place he knew he could trust God's calling. We struggle at that place. God, I, I don't believe you can fix my marriage. God, I don't believe you're really calling me into the ministry. God, I don't really think you want to teach me to teach that Sunday school class. God, I don't really think you want me to do this. We live in a society of God, I don't think. Can I give you a great word from heaven? God doesn't give a rip about what you think. God wants to tell you what he knows. I want to make sure, Abraham, you don't love that old boy more than you love me. That's where we falter so often. Our children, as I look around society, become our idols. I'm going to be honest with you, it's easy to make your grandchildren your idols too. I'll bust myself, absolutely. Matter of fact, Jesus said in the New Testament one time, Jesus said these words. They said, hey, Jesus, your mama and your daddy are outside. Your mama and your brothers are outside. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? He said, matter of fact, he goes on to say at one point, he says this, if you don't love, you have to hate your mama and your daddy and your brothers and sisters to really love me. Now, does Jesus want you to hate your mama and your daddy and your brother? No, but here's what he's saying. When you put the love you have for Jesus Christ up against the love you have for any other person on this side of eternity, it should look like hate. How many of us can say we love Jesus like that? Because we think God doesn't, it really boils down to the Garden of Eden. It boils down to the very same thing that Eve dealt with. We're afraid God's not looking out for us. We're afraid God doesn't have our best interest at heart. We're afraid God doesn't know exactly what we need. Can I tell you this? God knows you better than you know you. God always looks out for you. Flipping your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I've sort of personally nicknamed this the anchor chapter. There's so much in Romans 8, y'all. But I want to go to the very end. Romans chapter 8, and verse 28. We all know that. We all want to claim that. It's on bumper stickers and it's here and there. Man, if you're, not an, unbel if you're an unbeliever, you can't quote this verse. This is a believer's verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How can you say this was going to work for good, Hank? Well, here's how I can say it. Because God knew that the ram was going to be in the thicket. And not only did he know the ram was going to be in the thicket, he knew that every Jew that's ever been born came from the very seed of Abraham. He didn't lie. God has a plan. It's bigger than your plan. 
But what he wants to do here is this. He keeps on, he says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's what God is doing in your life, if you don't know, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God wants to do in your life, dear one, to make you more like Jesus. That in order he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he glorified. And then listen to this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God was for Abraham on that mountain, how in the world could anything have stood against him? And by the way, here's the truth of it. We thank God so often, we think God is a taker. God is always a giver. See, what you're saying is, well, he told Abraham, go offer your son. So he was going to take Abraham's son from him. No, he gave his son back to him. Hello, and so many more. We forget that part. We're, we, we hold on so selfishly to things. When God is going, if you would just give up that one thing... I will bless you so much greater. I've told you guys a story before, but it is so pertinent. A little girl, somewhere between five and seven, she had these old fake little toy pearls, man. She loved them. She never went anywhere without them. She'd play outside in the mud. She had them on. She goes to school. She had them on. She loved them pearls, man. They were fake, and they were just nothing. And so daddy comes to her one day and says, Honey, give daddy those pearls. No, Daddy, they're my pearls. No, Daddy, I love these as much as I love you and Mama. Okay. Next night, he asked for the pearls again. No, Daddy, they're my pearls. Okay. Next night, she knows when he comes in to tuck her in, she's already got tears. Daddy, I don't want to give up my pearls. Okay. About 30 minutes later, that same little girl walked in. Daddy's sitting on the couch, and she's just got tears streaming. He notices they're not only her neck. With a shaking little hand, she, Daddy, if you want my pearls, you can have them. Daddy said, oh, sugar, I've got something better. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out this little thing and he opens it up. And it's a brand new set of real pearls. He said, honey, you've had some fake ones. I'm going to give you the real thing. So many of us are walking around clenching our hands around fake pearls. And God is going, if you would just give me that... I'll give you back so much more. We think we know so much and we don't know nothing. What can separate us from the love? God loves you. He doesn't want to take things from you. Oh, he wants to take the sin from you. He wants to take the things that lead you in the bad direction. He wants to take all that from you, but he wants to give you life. And give you life more abundantly. I wrote down three questions. You can also go to Philippians 1.27. It says to live a life worthy of his calling. 
Here's three questions to think about. And then I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do it real quick, the three points, I promise. Do we live the life of obedience that Abraham did? Do we live the life of obedience? I gave you that list, man. Do we do anything like that? Number two, do we live life trusting in the mighty power of God as Abraham did? Do we live the life of obedience that Abraham lived? Do we live the life trusting in the power of God that Abraham did? Here's the hard one. Those two were easy. Are we willing to lay down and offer back to God that which means everything to us on this side of eternity? For God to give back like we know He will. I don't know what it is in your life that you hold most dear and you hold it pretty close to Jesus. And God is asking you, do you love that or me the most? I mean, it could be a variety of things. But are you willing, if God were to call you to lay it down, would you? Could you? Now, I'm going to give you three reasons. I'm going to give, I promise you, fairly quickly why Abraham could do that. All right, go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to give you three reasons. I'm going to try to do this in five minutes. Don't look at me like that, Kim. Greg, you ought to see your wife's face down here, man. Number one, he could do it because he had a reception of the promises of God. He had a reception of the promise of God. It says there in verse 17, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises. You see, he received the promise of God because God deals with us individually. You got that? Now, he'll deal with us corporately as a church, but he wants to deal with you individually because the church is not this building. The church is you. And what God wants to do, he don't want to grow a building. He wants to grow a person, and he wants to grow a church. He grows the church by growing people, by us making disciples. So he got to run your race. You got to figure out what God's calling you to give up and what's God calling you to and he wants you to run that race. I love that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. What did Paul write? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Some of you, listen to this. You've quit the race and the race not even over. You've quit the race and the race not over. Paul was writing these words, and Paul was in just, we think, a few weeks or no more than a few months, was going to lose his head. He's chained to two guards, and he's witnessing to them to his very last breath. I have to believe, if I know Paul like I think I do through Scripture, when they were taking the axe up to chop his head off, that brother was saying, hey, brother, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? But some of us will say things like this. Well, I've been doing this for the last 10 years. Well, how about I say that? 
I've been the pastor here for 22 years. I should just, we figured out this morning, I've had the potential to preach somewhere about 1,175 sermons in this place. Well, maybe I should just say, you know what? I've done all this. It's time for me just to go out to pasture. And some of you are going, no, no. Well, here's what I would say to you. No, no, no. Don't quit in the middle of the race. Who gave Paul his race? Jesus. He spoke in Acts chapter 9. He says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go there to a street called Straight. I've got a man there that I just met. He's blind right now. And I want you to go and tell him, how. listen to this, how I'm sending him to the Gentiles and how he will suffer for my name. You have a race. My race, not your race, Beth. My race, not Kim's race. Hey, make it personal so you understand me. My race is not Drew's race. My race is my race. How could Abraham be so quick to obey? He knew God and his promises. But secondly, he had an expectation based on the promises of God. And here it is. He considered that God was able. Amen and hallelujah. I don't know what little triviality you're you're, you're dealing with. (laughs) And I say that because it's not in the face of Hank. It's a big thing for you, but it's a small thing in front of God. You remember the story in Numbers? They sent the spies out, and they came back, and they said, man, woo, woo. That land is flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, boy. Yeah, but there's a bunch of giants there. And listen, we look like grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go up right stinking now. That's in Meta's loose translation. And let's take it, because God is well able. Problem is, some of you don't trust God. You think because you can't do it, God can't do it. Absolutely incorrect. Let me tell you the faith of this guy. I got to hurry. I'm I'm, I'm at the five-minute mark now, so I didn't make five minutes, but I'm going to try to make seven. Stop, Kim. Quit laughing at me. But in Genesis 22, here's what he says. Listen to this faith of this brother. Here's the expectation. Leads us into point three, and then I'm just going to quit. Then Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. We will worship He's talking about killing his son as a burnt sacrifice, and he calls it worship. By the way, anytime you're obedient to God's word, you are worshiping. We're going to go over there and worship and come again to you. Did you hear that? We're going to come back. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, here I am, son. Behold the fire, the wood, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide. Well, let me give you the third one. There was that expectation. He knew God was going to do something on top of that hill. Here's what he thought. There was a resurrection based on the, because of the promises of God. In, in verse 19, he, he says there, he, we read verse 9 uh, through uh, verse 14, and you read the story of what happened. But let me tell you, this is why it's important to go to Hebrews 11. But on the inside... 
He considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did. His son was already dead on top of that mountain to him because he knew he had to follow through on God's promises. He said, but I know, you know what? We're coming back somehow. Now, you may say, well, that's not a big, big deal. Yes, it was. There had never been a resurrection before. Hello? There would never been a resurrection before. What was he basing his faith on? God himself. Because he knew that God had told him he was going to be the father of many nations. He knew that God had told him that the Jews would be as a sand on the seashore. Can I tell you this? They are. God bless them. You ought to pray for them every day. So what does this mean for me, preacher? It means you need to trust God. You need to learn from all the times God has shown you what he can do in your life. And I don't know, some of you right now may be being tested by God. And I love that, that it shows you just how good and powerful God is. God may be trying to show you something great in your life. The question is, are you willing to trust him? See, I believe there's some preacher boys in here, other than the ones I've already got. I believe there's some Sunday school teachers in here. I believe there's some more choir members in here. I believe there's some missionaries in here. I believe there are, man, things that God could be calling you people to and me to that I can't even think about based on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He is able to do far higher, greater, more than we can even ask or think. See, some of you are going, God can't use me. That's a lie. From the pit. Yes, he can. Here's the question before us today. Are you willing to trust God even when it don't make no sense? Yes, you can. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.